This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey there, traders. This is Limit Up Podcast presented by Top Step Trader, where we talk about markets, futures, forex, and trader psychology with some of the best in this industry. I'm Dan Hodgman. You may have heard me here a time or two rambling out about God knows what. But this week, I'm going to be filling in for Jack, who's off on a beach somewhere working on his tan or sitting in conference rooms learning how how podcasts work. But nonetheless, we're going to get through this one without him, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. This week, our host, Jeff Carter, is back in studio after enjoying some time away, taking advantage of the last days of summer. He's going to be sitting down with today's guest, Principal at Portfolio Management Consultants, founder of Optimal Momentum website and Dual Momentum blog, and author of Dual Momentum, Gary Antonacci. Gary is going to talk about his book, Dual Momentum, how momentum investing works. And if you're like me and you've never heard of this, I'd say this is definitely going to be a must listen. As traders, we've always got to be aware of how and why these markets move, whether we're going to utilize those opportunities or not. But first, we're going to kick it over to Mark for this week's market reaction. Up and down, up and down. These are great trading markets. Unless you're a multi-week trend trader, the markets are setting up great trading opportunities. 12 of the 20th largest point moves in the Dow have come in the past 18 months. But if you're really looking for volatility, take a look at metals. The silver train has started rolling. This is an interesting market because for a long time, it was gold that was leading metals higher. But this week, silver started its ascent. On Tuesday and Wednesday alone, it gained 6%. That's $1.20 move per ounce or $6,000 for every one contract. Which gets me to my point of the week. In these markets, you don't have to trade big. Let's say you were bearish on silver during these two days. If you were wrong during the whole move, unprobable, you'd take a $6,000 hit. At two contracts, you'd lose the same with a 60 cent move. At three contracts, which a lot of traders trade in the trading combine, you lose $6,000 on a 40 cent move. Okay, you can do the math. But here's the thing. Silver was moving 40 cents in 30 minutes or less. To lose the whole 6,000 in one contract, you'd have to be wrong and stay wrong for two days. If that was you, you may have larger issues with your trading strategy that you should revisit. But if you're losing $6,000 because of a 40 cent move in 30 minutes, that's an easy fix. Stop, stop trading so large, stop gambling, cut your size and give yourself opportunities to be right in the future. And that's your market reaction. Thanks for that insightful piece of advice there, Mark. And now, Drum roll, please. It's time for your host, Mr. Jeff Carter and Gary Antonetti to enlighten us all. Jeff, let's get to it. Welcome to this week's Limit Up podcast with TopStepTrader.com. TopStepTrader is a place where you can learn how to trade, not using your own money, and then get funded with somebody else's money before you start using your own money. We're recording from a certain Midwestern city with big shoulders. It starts with a C, ends in an O and there's a hiccup in the middle. Um, it's Packers Bears week in Chicago, and so we're all pretty excited about that. I'm your host, Jeff Carter. You can find me at pointsandfigures.com. Uh, 
or you can find me on Twitter at Points in Figures. And today on the Limit Up podcast, we have Gary Antonucci. Welcome, Gary. Gary's from Northern California. He uh, is a principal at Portfolio Management Consultants. His previous position was managing member at Portfolio Management Consultants. He's got a long career in trading, and so uh, I think it'll be a very interesting conversation. Welcome to the program, Gary. Thanks, Jeff. Great yeah. to be here. Nice to have you. So you talk about a thing called dual momentum, which this is a new concept to me. I've heard of momentum trading, swing trading, different strategies around that. Can you kind of articulate what dual momentum is in plain English so people can understand it? Well, there are two types of momentum, Jeff. The most common one that most people are familiar with is relative strength. Uh, it's sometimes called cross-sectional momentum, where you're comparing the strength of one asset to others, and you go with whichever one has been stronger over your given look-back period. But there's also what's called absolute or time series momentum, which is uh, basically trend-following, where you're comparing performance uh, of an asset versus its own past performance. So if an asset has been going up over, say, the past year, then it has positive absolute momentum, and research has shown that it should continue to advance. Interesting. Now, dual momentum combines the two together, which uh, no one had done before I came along and, and wrote, wrote a paper and a book about it. So dual momentum, then, you're talking about sort of like, if I distill it into a, a sort of simple concept, it's like Bayesian conditional probability? Well, Bayesian, you, you, have, you have a prior and, and you, know, uh, you modify what your statistics show by some other factor, usually your judgment. All of this is rules-based. There's no, there's no judgment involved. There's no uh, other kinds of information you're incorporating. It's all, all momentum. And when you get right down to it, all momentum is based on trend. You know, whether you're talking about relative momentum or absolute momentum, it all has to do with autocorrelation and continuation, persistence, and performance. Okay, so this is more multivariate calculus then that comes up with a number to distinguish which way the trend is going? The trend is uh, it's pretty simple. As, as I explained, for absolute momentum, the way we use it is with the 12-month look back. So if something has been going up over the past year, we say it has positive absolute momentum, and it should continue going until that changes. Uh, relative momentum, you're just looking, comparing asset performance, uh, one asset to another. So typically the way that we use it is uh, taking U.S. stocks versus non-U.S. stocks in terms of relative momentum. You go with whichever one has been stronger over the past uh, year or whatever look-back period you're looking at. And then you'll uh, make that investment only if the trend has been positive. In other words, if the S&P 500 has been uh, up over the past year, then it has positive absolute momentum. And you'll invest in whichever of those two assets, U.S. and non-U.S. stocks, has been uh, stronger. If the trend has been down, then you go to the safety of uh, short to intermediate term bonds for as long as the trend is down. Or go short. No. Um, how, how do you discover? So, like, you know, if I look at my own portfolio, um, I have this one ETF that's an international stock thing, and it's just sucking wind right now. Um, how can I discover using this sort of analysis when I'm hitting a bottom? Do I need to wait for confirmation of an upswing before I buy? I mean, 
So this doesn't help you pick like the absolute bottom. No, and if you can pick tops and bottoms, then uh, you're off on an island somewhere. You don't talk to anybody because you have all the money in the world. So no, trend following never gets in or in at the top or the bottom. But if it's done correctly, uh, you know it captures most of the middle ground, and that's all you need to do very well. That's right. So the thing starts to turn. It shows positive momentum. You get the signal. You get on the boat. How do you know when to get off? I think that's a big deal for traders because a lot of times people see setups where they can get into trades, but it's getting out sometimes at the right moment, um, which makes or breaks whether you make money or lose money. Well, I like to think of it like you're on a train uh -huh. and when a faster moving train comes alongside, you hop onto it. And that's basically what you're doing. You're just hopping onto whatever is uh, doing better. Okay. So whether it's U.S. stocks or non-U.S. stocks or stocks or bonds. So if you're on the stock train and bonds are, you know, doing better than stocks, then uh, you, you may want to jump off onto the bond train. Uh, so that's basically what it's like. It's all relative performance in terms of assets, and it's absolute performance in terms of what the asset you're keying on has been doing itself over whatever time period you're looking at. So in stocks and in especially U.S. treasuries, there's a large volume of transactions with liquidity. Does this sort of strategy lend itself to less liquid assets, for example, real estate or things that have um, long time horizons between transactions? Oh, sure. Inter momentum is actually an intermediate term uh, phenomenon. The, the look back period you use to decide what you want to do is uh, three to 12 months and more typically six to 12 months look back. So momentum is suspect when you get really short term, like in terms of day trading or uh, very short term swing trading, then mean reversion, which is the opposite of momentum tends, tends to do better. You're better off fading extreme moves. And uh, in fact, I have a, a short term mean reversion program that, uh, you know, does the opposite of what momentum might be do might be doing. So it, it's important what time frame you're looking at when you're when you're talking about momentum. But momentum has been shown to work with pretty much every asset you can think of. Right. Why don't more people use it? Do you think? Well, there's a number of reasons. Uh, I think behavioral uh, factors play a large part in it. You know, everyone wants to buy bargains. Um, that's why value investing is popular because, you know, we can go to the store and buy something cheap. Uh, markets don't especially work that way. They're not giving away anything. <laughs> uh, but when you see that the prices advance, then, you know, there's a, what's called a disposition effect. You tend to want to get out rather than to get in. So there's an aversion to get in after something has started to move. You want to wait for a pullback, and those pullbacks might not come. Like, I missed it. Yeah, that's right. I think, too, with value investing, people feel like they have more control because, you know, you can analyze the financial statements of a company that they file with the SEC and look at the book value versus the market value and then try to imply some reason that the stock might be cheaper than the book value. And so because market's cheaper than book, we should buy it, you know. Um, and they feel like they have some sort of control where momentum investing, kind of the locus of control isn't within 
yourself, it's more within the market and that can be scary to people. Yeah. Yeah. You have to believe what the markets are telling you. You know, there's a really good trader, uh, Ed Sakota, who, um, you know, I, I know pretty well and he, he puts charts against the wall and he doesn't care what it is particularly, but when he sees movement up, that's when he jumps in. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and price, the only thing that matters in price is not whether it's high or low. It's just what the movement in the price is. So that's correct. What's high can always go higher and what's low can always go lower. Right. So uh, what we're trying to do is follow the trends, either trend of one asset to another or the trend of an asset itself. So when I talk to people that um, are doing startups, I always sort of ask them, you know, how'd you get this idea? Um, and if they had it from personal experience, generally they're a little more passionate about it. How did you decide to combine the two indices and what gave you the sort of impetus to start to think that way? Well, I'd say my background, uh, I've uh, been in the investment business since the 1970s. I work with market makers on the option exchange floor. So I was familiar kind of with some of the principles of uh, trading. And then I worked with some of the best traders in the world in the 1980s. I had hedge funds going and I worked with Paul Tudor Jones, Richard Dennis, uh, Louis Bacon. Wow. Oh, Richard Dennis. Yeah, all these people. So I knew something about trading and following trends. And then uh, I've always, you know, kept an eye on the academic side of things. And uh, about 10 years ago, I did a thorough uh, looking into uh, momentum research. And there was a lot of it because it flies in the face of efficient market theory. There was a challenge to it. So there's been a lot of academic interest trying to either prove or disprove it. And uh, I could see that there was the enormous potential there, but I didn't think it was being exploited very well. So I did my own research and I determined that momentum works best when it's applied to geographically diversified stock indices. And that uh, by incorporating trend in there, by using bonds, let's say, as, as a possible uh, holding, then uh, you could gain the benefits of uh, both trend following and relative strength. Now, since then, there's been other work. Uh, Gexky and Samanov came up with a paper 2015 where they went all the way back to the year 1800. And they showed that momentum worked consistently across all kinds of assets, commodities, currencies, fixed income, bonds, stocks. Where they found it worked best was with geographically diversified stock indices, the same thing I had found. And they also validated absolute or time series momentum and found that that uh, beat buy and hold as well. All I did was combine the two together in a way that I think makes some sense. Interesting. We, I, it's, a, it's a fascinating debate on efficient market theory. Um, of course, I got my MBA at University of Chicago where it was born, uh, yet the behavioralists are there too. There's a guy in town here named Tom Sosnoff. He started the small exchange. He's got um, a network called Tasty Trade, traded in the options pit, and absolutely abhors efficient market uh, hypothesis. Um, I know other guys that are big proponents of it. I see both sides of the argument. It's it's interesting. Um, so that that's a fascinating debate to have. And it's interesting that it flies in the face of efficient market hypothesis. What do you make today of the heightened volatility due to, let's say, Trump tweeting or 
the impact of news hitting the market faster? How does that change sort of the way you look at momentum? Well, it's a lot of that is is still noise. So, uh, inter- momentum to work effectively is an intermediate term uh, phenomenon, and you just have to ignore a lot of that stuff. You have to. That's why I think uh, research is important and education, uh, because the more you understand it, uh, the more you can keep the big picture in mind and not be knocked around by all the uh, short-term news events. I I tend to just ignore it and stick to whatever models I have uh, religiously because I found that they work. You know, they've, they've survived out-of-sample testing that I've done, and then uh, other people have taken the data all the way back to the 1600s with stocks and to the 1200s with, with other assets. So there's nothing that has that amount of backtesting associated with it that's held up uh, like momentum has. So I I have a lot of confidence in it, and I can ignore a lot of the noise that goes on all around me. So if you were, let's just take the last three or four months here in this in the stock market, you know, um, the market obviously had momentum higher, and then turned on a dime on trade fears. Looked, I mean, it was like a, a mini crash almost. You know, it was down a lot every day and then again turned on a dime and started to go and then so the efficient market people would say hey if you just ignored it all and you were long only and your time horizon was 10 20 years you didn't buy and you didn't sell you just watched it and you were better off how would the momentum people look at that well it depends what momentum people you're talking about uh, the way that i use it is um I recognize that markets are generally efficient. You know, uh, you don't want to be trying to do a lot of uh, short-term trend-type trading. You want to be as close to buy and hold as you can while not being subject to bear markets Uh, and also by being able to take advantage of relative strength to determine which assets uh, you're in. So that's the reason why I can be patient and I can ignore the noise. Uh, I've, I've been long stocks, you know, during all of this short-term nonsense over the past few months, uh, I'm still long U.S. stocks. Now, in order to take advantage of some of the noise, I also have a short-term mean reversion trading program that identifies short-term overbought, oversold conditions uh, using a, a few different indicators. And when there's a conflict with them, I'll go against what the crowd's been doing. I'm curious, just on the allocation, what percentage of the portfolio would be would you allocate to something like that? The short-term thing to try to take advantage versus the kind of longer-term strategy? Well, I've allocated quite a bit of my personal trading because uh, I recognize the, uh, the potential and the advantages there because it's non-correlated with everything else. When you get into the short-term conversion stuff, it does well in choppy markets. It does well in up markets, down markets. So it's a perfect uh, diversifier. And uh, the returns returns can be uh, quite high uh, doing it in a methodical way. So for myself, I'm quite comfortable having a significant portion of my assets there. Other people not probably not so because they're not as familiar with this type of trading. It's the same thing with momentum. With momentum, a lot of people are not familiar with momentum-type trading in a systematic rules-based way. 
And that's why it's not as popular as it might be either. And it works with, like we said, other assets. So if you were going to try to trade Forex, for example, um, momentum tends to work. Um, what about uh, using options and picking different strikes um, in, if you wanted to sort of limit your risk? Could you do that with momentum or not? You could, but there, there's usually no free lunch with options either. I mean, they're all all fungible. You can create uh, equivalent position by going long, short, uh, borrowing and lending. So there's no magic bullet there. Uh, people who do best in options trading are, are the brokers, you know, because of the transactions. Um, and I speak from experience, you know, having worked with market makers, uh, I, I ran a market making organization on all five stock option exchanges for a while. Yeah. Were you mainly at the P coast? Cause you're from California, but I mean, we're, I'm from Chicago. So the CBOE is kind of the options exchange here, but they were all kind of fungible because of the OCC. So I, I worked with guys on all five option exchanges. Did you just a uh, point of curiosity? Did you notice a culture difference from exchange to exchange? <laughs> uh I, I wasn't, you know, that keyed in with what was going on on the floor. I was upstairs. Yeah. So um, I, you know, they all they all seem the same to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, I, I really didn't. I I mean, in the, on the coast here, there are probably more uh, blackjack players. That's the only difference. I yeah. Right. Right. So, how much work does it take to build this? Um, into your trading strategy? Like what would I have to do? Let's say I don't use it at all. I think it could work. How would I integrate it into my daily trading strategy? Well, the best way is to get my book, uh, Dual Momentum Investing, where I, I, lay out, I lay out all the background of it. And uh, I show you how you can use a, a charts to very quickly determine uh, what you should be in. And I give all the uh, all the background uh, details about that. And my website, optimalmomentum.com, uh, also uh, shows performance and gives you some idea of how easy it is to do this sort of thing. Oh, that's interesting. And then let's say I had $10,000 to trade with. Um, I'm a small trader. And how much capital would you allocate out of that towards pursuing this strategy? I mean, you'd say all 10,000, but maybe you're doing something else too with it, you know, to learn it, you know? Yeah, you'd have to look at what it's done and compare it to other things and, you know, judge your own, uh, you know, risk uh, profile. But I can tell you that since 1950 till now, uh, dual momentum, uh, the compound annual growth rate was 15.5% per year. That's very good. Versus uh, a little over 11% for the S&P index. Yeah. So we're talking, you know, 400 basis point increase in return. But what's more important is the worst drawdown has been less than 20% with dual momentum versus, you know, over 50% with the S&P on a month end basis. Right. It's I mean I mean it's interesting because when you start to pursue new strategies as a trader, sometimes it takes a while to build up kind of your confidence in them internally, just behaviorally, you know, and and I'm wondering how long it would take to learn something like that, where you would be confident and go whole hog. Well, that's why I suggest the shortcut that people look at my website, my blog, and my book, 
because uh, they're designed to give you uh, information and that should lead to confidence. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that it's only had a drawdown of 20%. Um, you would think that more people would um, use it if that was the case. You would think so, but uh, some of the reasons why momentum works is are the same reasons that keep people away from it. Right. Uh, behavioral biases, uh, especially. Right. Speaking of that, like, how does this sort of strategy keep your confirmation bias and sort of maybe things you generally think about the world out of the way you trade? The main thing is it's rules-based. So once you understand it and you study, you know, the background of it and uh, you feel confident, then you just follow the rules and then you could ignore everything else. Now, you know, you may have to overcome some disposition bias uh, that makes you want to take quick profits or hold on to losers too long. You, you may have to uh, overcome a bias that tells you that complicated is better than simple, which is actually the opposite of what's true. Uh, so there's all these, all these biases that once you have the right kind of understanding and all the information, uh, you should naturally be able to overcome. That's very interesting. I find that I found that a lot, you know, depends. Some guys you'd watch them trade and just depends on which side of the bed they got up, how they were going to trade. Yes. Sometimes it's not easy, no matter how much information you have, when you see the markets, you know, going crazy. I mean, trading can be simple, but it's not always easy. No, it's, if it was easy, everybody would do it. I mean, it's the great, it was the greatest job in the world, right? I mean, <laughs> it was fabulous. Um, what a, what a great way to make money. That's very interesting. Anything else that you would want to add that we haven't talked about? Well, I'd encourage people to uh, take a look at it. Uh, most of the ways momentum is used uh, have to do with uh, buying stocks, you know, but when you take it up a level uh, to uh, using ETFs of, uh, on a geographically diversified basis, I think you can get better, better returns and uh, more consistency. So I'd encourage people to uh, look into momentum in the way that I do it, uh, as opposed to uh, the way that's done typically by uh, the funds that are out there now. Gary, could I totally reverse this strategy if I wanted to be like a Jimmy Chanos short seller and just do it from the short side? Yes, you could. Uh, the problem, though, is the markets go up more than they go down. So you're going to have limited opportunities right. uh, to do that. I, I find it's better when when dual momentum identifies a, a bear market in stocks. It's better just to be in short to intermediate term bonds, because by the time you get in and get out and uh, deal with all of that, uh, you don't gain that much. And whereas uh, bonds tend to do uh, well when stocks are going down, especially short-term or medium-term bonds, because there's a flight to safety, and that's where the new money's going. And the Fed, you know, sees uh, the stock market as a lead indicator, and they want to, you know, keep interest rates low. So there's a number of reasons why bonds are a good alternative when you're not in stocks. Do you get a bigger move, like when? So if I was going to go to short-term interest rates, um, stirs as we call them, would would you get a bigger move in an, a bond ETF, um, the cash market, or doing futures, like a two-year, five-year, 10-year notes, 
uh, or euro dollar futures if you were going to jump out of stocks and into short term rates? Well, futures, you have the leverage. I mean, they should all move uh, pretty much the same uh, other than the leverage factor. So uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of leverage uh, because still people have to deal with their behavioral biases. And if you're, you know, you're leveraged and, you know, you have to go through some, some heat, uh, you may not react well uh, as, as if you're not leveraged. So uh, you really don't need it. I mean, with the kind of returns that we've been getting from dual momentum over the long run, uh, I don't see the need for, for leverage myself. But everybody's different. Yeah, interesting. Well, thank you very much um, for being on the Limit Up podcast today. Um, I appreciate it. I'd encourage people to look at Gary's book and his website. What What's the book and what's the website again for our edification, Gary? The book is uh, Dual Momentum Investing. It's uh, it's available on Amazon. It's very popular there. And the website is optimalmomentum.com. Awesome. Is there, by the way, is there a monthly fee to use the website or is there a freemium model or how, how, how does that work? No, the website gives, gives you what the uh, updated performance on the model that's in my book. And there's also a link to my blog, which has a lot of updated information in it. In fact, uh, a post I did not too long ago was extending the dual momentum bottle back to 1950 when I wrote my book, I only went back to 1974. That's all the data I had. So it's held up very well out of sample. People uh, should, should pay attention to out of sample performance more than in sample. Right. And what's the blog uh, address for your blog? That's dualmomentum.com. Okay. So it's a link off the, off the, same, off the same website. They link to each other, but they, they have separate sites. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and uh, good luck and good trading. Thanks, Jeff. It's been great talking with you. Thank you. All righty. Well, traders, thank you for making it all the way to the end of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. And thank you, Gary, for sitting down with all of us and giving us something new to think about. This is going to be the part of the program where I remind you all to rate and subscribe to this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts, ideally SoundCloud and iTunes. Also, make sure you give us a great review strictly because you know you want to and it really helps us grow. Um, also, we have an awesome private Facebook community, topsteptrader.com slash Facebook. Go ahead and check out our blog where uh, we have everything from seeing videos of me to Jack laying it out there for all of us to grow as traders. You can watch us on YouTube every day. And if you haven't already, sign up for a trading combine. You guys know the drill. Jeff, Mark, and Jack will all be back next week with a brand new guest. And for the time being, I'll be out of here until I get the call once again and uh, brought back up to the major leagues. But thank you as always. Trade well, and we'll see you guys in the markets. This episode produced by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.